Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, The Battle of Civitate, Part 4 of 4. Last week I told of growing Norman power in 11th century Italy. I also briefly described events in Rome where the papacy was now held by one of the most decadent of all popes in history, Benedict IX. I described how in the early 1030s the Romans rose up against Benedict, who was only able to regain his position with the help of the emperor in Germany. I now pick up the story from 1044, when for a second time Benedict was forced out of the city, and the Romans elected a new pope, Sylvester III. Benedict gathers his supporters and fought his way back into the city to oust his rival. Very soon after, though, Benedict lured by a large sum of money and having only ever been interested in being Pope for the perks it gave him, agreed to resign the papacy to his godfather, now Gregory VI, thus becoming the only Pope in history to have sold away his title. To top it all, a few months later, the capricious youth, regretting his resignation, raised an army to try and reclaim the throne again by force. The man in charge of Germany at the time was Henry III, who had proved himself a strong and effective leader. As a deeply religious man, he considered it his duty as leader of the Christian people as he saw it, to put an end to the scandal in the papacy. He marched on Rome, summoned a synod which deposed all three popes, and installed a worthy German in their place, as Clement II. This act was opposed by many Roman nobles, as well as some of the clergy, who objected to the principle of the emperor being able to decide such things. However, a group of bishops and cardinals, led by Cardinal Humbert, tired of the papacy being a plaything of the Roman aristocracy, saw here an opportunity to reform the institution and have it led by more worthy individuals. Henry went on to inaugurate a series of German popes of high moral calibre and reforming instinct, most notably Leo IX, the Bishop of Toul and a second cousin to Henry. Leo set out from Germany for the Eternal City in January 1049, dressed as a simple pilgrim, accompanied by the deacon Hildebrand, who was later to become highly important in the reform of the Church. Leo soon proved himself as a capable diplomat, general and churchman, 
He made it his first task to stamp down on simony, that is, the selling of positions within the church. With this aim, he worked hard to establish better control over the church, so that transgressors might be punished, and ultimately to clean up and reform the organisation and make it more worthy of its lofty ideals. Leo's period in office marks a watershed, since the reforms he began were built upon by his successors to break from the degradations of the past and establish the medieval papacy that we are more familiar with, where the office is elected solely by cardinals instead of either Roman nobility or an emperor. Another associated change in the papacy was its growing confidence to assert its authority far and wide, claiming spiritual authority over the emperor and kings of Latin Christendom, and also strongly reaffirming the pope as supreme head of the church, most notably over Constantinople. On his arrival in Rome, Leo was presented with a great pile of letters of complaints from monks, travellers and ordinary pilgrims who had become subject to assault, robbery and abduction by Norman brigands. The growing animosity between the Normans and the locals was described by contemporary sources. The monk, Wilbert, Leo's earliest biographer, writes that the Normans, quote, welcomed as liberators, soon became oppressors, end quote. And John, abbot of Fecamp, graphically wrote, quote, Italian hatred of the Normans has now become so great that it is near impossible for a Norman, even if he be a pilgrim, to travel through the cities of Italy without being set upon, abducted, stripped of all he has, beaten and tied with chains, end quote. Leo was also alarmed by the Normans extending their dominion ever closer to papal frontiers. He wrote a letter to Drogo de Houtville, who after the death of his brother William, had become the most senior of the Normans in the south. In the letter, Leo demanded immediate intervention and the speedy restoration of order. Drogo was sympathetic to Leo's request and promised to do what he could but in practice was little able to control all the disparate bands of Normans roaming the land. Nor did he get the time to carry out the promise. Very soon after, Drogo was assassinated, and with him his moderating influence. In such turbulent times, there were any number of candidates who could have wished him dead, but if the assassin had hoped to weaken the Normans, he did not succeed. Having lost their leader, the Normans showed little eagerness to elect another. Drogo had been at least been willing to discuss matters reasonably and respectfully. Now there was no longer even a spokesman in power to speak for the Normans as a whole, and the land was declining into anarchy. If order and tranquillity were to be restored, it would have to be by force. The Pope saw no choice but to raise an army. In Italy, most of the petty barons of the south and centre answered the Pope's call readily enough. Many had already suffered from Norman raids and were beginning to fear for their own survival. 
Unexpectedly, the Byzantines also responded positively. The local Greek representative, Argyrus, had earlier tried to recruit the Normans as mercenaries, or pay them to leave southern Italy, but they refused, sensing the chance to help drive the Greeks off the peninsula and take the land for themselves. So Argyrus went to Constantinople and persuaded the Emperor Constantine IX, in the face of furious opposition from the Greek patriarch, of the necessity of a rapprochement with the Latins. The Normans, he argued, were now a far greater menace to Byzantine interests than the Western Emperor, the Lombards or the Pope. By the end of 1051, he had reached full agreement with Leo on joint military action. Leo also sought assistance from Henry III when they celebrated Christmas, 1052, together in Germany. Initially, the emperor agreed to help organise an army. However, for reasons unknown, he later changed his mind under the influence of his chief adviser, Bishop Gibbard of Eichstadt, the future Pope Victor II. The army was thus recalled before it reached the frontiers of Italy, and the Pope was left to do his own recruiting. Leo managed to recruit some 700 trained Swabian infantry, which were to prove the mainstay of the Papal army. Around this solid nucleus, there gathered a motley and undisciplined collection of German mercenaries. By the time they reached central Italy, at the beginning of June 1053, they were numerically more than a match for anything the Normans could put into the field. In addition, nearly all the non-Norman barons of southern Italy had rallied to Leo's standard, including the Duke of Gaeta, Counts of Aquino and Tiano, and the Archbishop of Amalfi, as well as contingents from Rome, the Sabine Hills, Campania, Apulia, Ancona, and Spoleto. All drew new courage from each other's presence, and most of all from that of their solemn, white-robed leader, who had now assumed personal command of the army. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Leo had been in contact with the Byzantines during the journey south and had arranged to link up with them before the battle. 
However, the Normans blocked the road between them, forcing the Pope to lead his army along a more circuitous route. The Normans were led by Richard of Aversa, son of Renulf, and two more Houtville brothers, Humphrey and Robert, the latter known to history as Robert Giscard. Aware of the danger and that their future in Italy could depend on the result of the upcoming fight, all available men were collected to form a single army. But without allies they could muster only 3,000 horsemen and 500 infantry. They were outnumbered and faced not only two armies, the Papal and Byzantine, but also the entire indigenous population of Apulia, who looked upon them with unconcealed loathing, and were determined to drive them out, so that their adversary totaled perhaps 6,000 horsemen and infantry combined. Leo was not eager for immediate battle, waiting for the arrival of the Byzantine army. The Normans, meanwhile, were half-starving. The local peasantry refused them all provisions, and to deprive them further, had already begun to gather in the harvest, even though much of the corn was still green. They were left with a handful or two each of grain, dried before a fire. Partly out of extreme hunger, partly from misgivings about raising their swords against the Vicar of Christ, they asked Leo for a truce. The Pope tried to play for time, hoping any moment for the arrival of Argyrus but the Normans decided not to wait any longer and launched an attack even though negotiations were still in progress. So on the morning of the 18th of June, 1053, battle commenced. The two armies were divided by a small hill. The Normans put their horsemen in three companies, with the heavy cavalry of Richard of Aversa on the right, Humphrey with infantry, dismounted knights and archers in the centre, and Robert Giscard with his horsemen and his infantry on the left. Leo watched from ramparts of the town of Civitate. His army was divided into two parts, with the heavy Swabian infantry in a line from the centre extending to the right, and the Italian levies amassed on the left. The battle started with the attack of Richard of Aversa against the Italians and Lombards on the left with a flanking movement and charge. This heterogeneous group, having little idea of how to dispose themselves in war, immediately broke formation and fled without even trying to resist. The Norman cavalry killed many of them as they retreated before eventually attempting to return to the main engagement. The Swabians, in the meantime, had moved to the hill and come into contact with the Norman centre and the forces of Humphrey. First, a hail of arrows was unleashed from the Normans before engaging in hand-to-hand combat. This clash became the main focus of much of the battle, with the Normans attempting to flank the Swabians while Humphrey engaged them. Robert Giscard, seeing his brother in danger, moved with the left wing to the hill and succeeded in easing the Swabian pressure. The situation, however, remained balanced, yet thanks to the continued Norman discipline in holding the line against the Swabians, the day was at last decided by the return of Richard's forces, 
back from their murderous pursuit of the Italians and Lombards. He and his followers now plunged into the fray and destroyed the last hopes of the papalists. The Swabians, to the end, bravely fought on and were killed to the last man. Leo was in dismay as he witnessed the slaughter of his army. If only his Byzantines had been able to link up in time, or if he'd been able to bring a professional army from Germany, things would have most likely have turned out differently. Instead, his ragtag army had been annihilated, and to add to his humiliation, the citizens of Civitate, eager not to displease the Normans, refused his request for asylum and handed him over to his enemies. The Normans were uncomfortable fighting the head of the church. They treated the defeated Leo with reverence, but saw the victory as an opportunity to compel the Pope to recognise their Italian conquests. As the chronicler Amatus put it, quote, The Pope was afraid, but the victorious Normans reassured him, offered him safe conduct, and then brought him with all his retinue to Benevento, furnishing him continually with bread and wine, and all that he might need. End quote. Although the Pope was able to transact day-to-day papal business, it became clear that the Normans would not allow him to leave Benevento until he accepted the Norman demands. Leo strongly resisted, and negotiations dragged on for nine months. For most of this time, Leo seems to have been intractable, perhaps hoping to be rescued. But no army was sent from Henry in Germany, and the Byzantine-Italian army was being disbanded by Constantinople. So in failing health, Leo eventually submitted and was allowed to return to Rome in March 1054. The unhappy Pope, worn out by his exertions, disillusioned by the betrayal of his emperor, broken by the defeat at Civitate, and suffering a terrible wasting disease that caused him constant pain, passed away, believing all his endeavours to have failed. He could hardly have known how successfully the work he had begun reforming the church would be carried on after him. I believe the Battle of Civitate was a significant event for three reasons. Firstly, it marks the moment when the Normans achieved their goal of military supremacy in southern Italy. Their possessions had been confirmed by the Pope, albeit reluctantly, and they now had a reputation for invincibility, which cowered any opposition into submission. Never again would their eviction from the peninsula be seriously contemplated. This was now their home. The second main consequence of the battle is that the next year it helped trigger the great schism between the churches of Rome and Constantinople. Pope Leo had realised that a papal-Byzantine alliance was essential to check the Norman advance. So from his captivity in Benevento, he sent an embassy to Constantinople with the aim of patching up their differences. But Leo made an unfortunate decision for who would lead the trip. Cardinal Humbert shared Leo's ideas on cleaning up the church, 
but was one of the new breed of hardline reformers bent on promoting the supremacy of the Roman Church above all rivals, including the Greek Church. The diplomatic mission very quickly got sidetracked into arguments over church doctrine and theology between Humbert and the arch-conservative patriarch of Constantinople, Michael Kirillarius. Within a few weeks of the legate's arrival, news arrived of Leo's death, but the arguments continued and became more embittered. At three o'clock in the afternoon of Saturday, 16th of July, 1054, in the presence of all the clergy assembled for the Eucharist, the three legates of Rome strode into the church of Santa Sophia and up to the high altar, on which they laid a bull of excommunication of the patriarch. They marched straight out the building and left Rome two days after. The patriarch excommunicated the legates in return, and all hope for the alliance had evaporated. As John Julius Norwich described in his book, The Normans in the South, the two churches had been growing apart for centuries. Their slow estrangement was in essence a reflection of the old rivalry between Latin and Greek, Rome and Constantinople, and the first and fundamental reason for the schism was in fact the steadily increasing authority of the Roman pontificate, which led to arrogance on the one side and resentment on the other. However inevitable the breach may have been, it was a sad and unedifying story. Both excommunications were directed personally at the offending individuals, rather than their respective churches, and could have been rescinded. After all, Humbert's excommunication was uncanonical, since the Pope he was representing already passed away at the time. But unfortunately the event ended up leading to a permanent schism between East and West churches, which lasts to this day. The third main consequence of the Battle of Civitate is how it led to a Papal-Norman alliance. We have seen how relations between both Eastern and Western emperors were compromised by questions over which office holds ultimate religious authority, and who inherits the historical authority of the Roman Empire. The Normans, on the other hand, had no such concerns. They were more than happy to work with the Pope, providing a reliable military force in return for being granted legitimacy of their land grabs. Norman support gave future popes the confidence to exert their spiritual authority over all of Christendom, including both Eastern and Western emperors. This was also unlikely to be possible were it not for the papal reforms instigated by Leo IX, which freed the church from control of Roman aristocrats. In August 1059, Pope Nicholas II signed the Treaty of Melfi, recognising Norman ownership of conquered southern Italy. From then on, the two sides would more often than not continue to work together. Lastly, I want to look at some of the reasons to explain what determined the result of the Battle of Civitate. Although the papal army was large in size, it was not coherent, 
and the Italian Lombard left side had failed completely due to lack of training and leadership. For the Normans, on the other hand, they were experienced warriors. Indeed, fighting was their way of life. What's more, they had invented a form of warfare based on a new breed of warriors called knights who were to revolutionise warfare in Europe. The Norman chronicler William of Apulia, when writing about this battle, wrote of the Germans that, quote, They were proud people of great courage, but not versed in horsemanship, who fought rather with the sword than with the lance. Since they could not control the movement of their horses with their hands, they were unable to inflict serious injuries with the lance. However, they excelled with the sword. They preferred to dismount and take guard on foot, and they chose rather to die than to turn tail. Such was their bravery that they were far more formidable like this than when riding on horseback. Ultimately, the Norman cavalry proved more deadly than infantry, and they proved so again thirteen years later on the other side of Europe when a separate group of them crossed the channel from Norman to England. Next time I will describe the most famous battle in English history, the Battle of Hastings. I would like to give a massive thanks to those listeners who have provided a a comment on my website, www.historyeurope.net, or provided a donation via that same website. These will help encourage me to do this podcast as well and thoroughly as I can. Thank you. I also urge all my listeners to go to iTunes to give my podcast there a review. That would greatly help. So thank you for listening, and until next time, for the Battle of Hastings. Until then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.